on the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters dried up on the earth. And Noah removed the cover from the ark and looked and behold, the face of the earth was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day, the earth had dried. And God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your son, sons and your sons' wives. Bring with you all the living things of all flesh with you, the animals and the birds of the air and everything that creeps on the earth. Let them fill the earth be fruitful and multiply. And so Noah went out from the ark, he and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives and the beasts and the creeping things that creep on the earth and the birds of the air, all living things went out by families from the ark. And Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God. What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do when we feel like we've ruined everything? How do we face that? How do we face down the reality of our brokenness? How do we face down the reality that we may have ruined our lives? I was in New York this week. Uh, Broadway is not what it used to be. It changes. This is no longer the land of Camelot and Phantom of the Opera. Last year, the Tony Award for Best Musical went to a show called Dear Evan Hansen, a show which I saw this week, which is all about teenage depression, brokenness, suicide, Loneliness, lyrics like this, no, I'd rather pretend I'm something better than these broken parts. Pretend I'm something other than this mess that I am. Because then I don't have to look at it and no one gets to look at it. No, no one can really see because what if everyone saw? What if everyone knew? Would they like what they saw, or would they hate it too? And I'm sitting there in a theater full of teens and young adults, and I'm bawling my eyes out. So much so that the stranger next to me hands me her tissue. <laughs> and I wanted to sort of hand her back my business card and say, if, you know, if you're in Dallas, you should come to Christchurch because I cry pretty much every Sunday. brokenness, that sense that we may have ruined something beyond repair. This is what our world struggles with every day. What's the solution? Some would say uh, we can lie to ourselves, we can give up, we can seek constant distraction, we can medicate against the pain. But what if I were to tell you that the story of Noah and the flood and the gospel in the flood, the good news we see in the story. What if I was to tell you that this is actually the story of hope? 
that we need when we face our brokenness. When we face that horrifying reality that maybe I've ruined everything. We need this gospel in the flood. Because you see, this flood story is the ultimate hope for those who feel like failures and losers. The problem is when we read this flood story, we're often very individualistic. We think of ourselves individually in the story instead of thinking of the story at a macro level, thinking of humanity as a whole. Think of the flood story with humanity as a whole, right? This is the story of a people who have totally broken their lives, who have effectively ruined everything. We read it last week in chapter 6, as we began, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. There's probably nothing worse that God the creator could say of us than he regretted that he even made us. We had broken our lives We had broken this world. We had ruined it that badly. And so the flood comes. But isn't it amazing here in chapter 8 as we read now, the flood waters subside. And all of a sudden, there's humanity coming back out in the earth. Humanity is not done for. There is a new chapter in humanity's story. Even after we've broken everything, the story continues. Because the gospel in the flood is that God can do more than we could ask or imagine even when we've messed everything up. Even when we've ruined our lives, the gospel in the flood says God can make a new day. What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do when we feel we've we've ruined everything? The gospel in the flood tells us that even after epic failure... God will recreate us. He'll make us new. He'll start again. He'll give us a fresh start. But not only does God recreate us after the flood, but he recalibrates us. He, He does some internal working in Noah's heart and in ours to change us, to change us from the inside out. But not only does he recreate us and recalibrate us, Thanks be to God, he recommissions us. He sends us back to the work we've been called to. You see, first, the gospel in the flood says that even after a total failure, God recreates. Look at verse 13. We're in chapter 8 of Genesis. In the 600 and first year in the first month in the first day of the year. Now, there's more here than meets the eye. Remember, Noah was 600 years old going into the ark. And so, when it says it's the 601st year, first month, first day, this is God saying, we're going back to the beginning again. This is a new creation. This is a recreation This is creation begun again, reborn. It is the fresh start that anyone who's really faced brokenness longs for. Oh Lord, could there be such a thing as a fresh start? 
Because in those desperately horrible moments when we're facing down the reality of ourselves, we recognize that it's not tinkering that's going to fix us. I need a fresh start. As Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Tinkering won't do it. A new birth is required. The old man must die so that the new man may live. This is the recreation that God brings into our lives, even those of us who've broken our lives so badly. Probably the best example, I think, in literature of this process of rebirth, getting rid of the old self and taking on that new self, God's act of recreation, that act that only God himself can do. We cannot make ourselves born again. God must do that work. It's a story in Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yes, Narnia, always Narnia. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. When Eustace, this terrible snot of a young man, who's just horrible to everyone around him, eventually gets transformed into a dragon. He goes into a dragon's den and he lays on top of dragon's gold, dreaming dragonish thoughts, and he turns into a dragon. And he's horrified at this new reality. He's literally showing on the outside of him all the wickedness and brokenness on the inside, and he's remorseful, and he's shamed by this. And he scrapes at his dragon's skin with his claws like a snake would take off its skins. But every time he takes off another skin, there's just more dragon underneath. He cannot undragon himself. And so finally, he meets Aslan, the Christ figure, the lion in Narnia. And we read these words. The lion said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now. So I just lay down on my back and let him do it. And the first tear that he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything that I've ever felt. The only thing that made it able to bear was the pleasure of feeling the stuff come off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off and there it was lying on the grass and there I was as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been because I turned into a boy again. God comes to broken, ruinous people and undragons us and makes us live again. This is the hope when we feel we've broken everything, that God will recreate us. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the cross, Everything wrong in us has been transferred onto him. And those words of 2 Corinthians 5 can become truly true for us. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. 
Because, as verse 21 says, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. We might live a new life. Don't you want to get recreated? Well, thanks be to God, the gospel in the flood is not just that God recreates people who have been broken, who have ruined their lives, but the gospel in the flood is that even after total failure, God will recalibrate our lives. You think of calibration like a compass, right? If the compass is not rightly calibrated, you're going to be going the wrong direction. Where are our hearts calibrated? Verse 20 of our text, chapter 8, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar. Do you know that the first thing Noah did, as recorded in Scripture, when he came out of the ark, he'd been in there for 150 days or longer. And, and there, what, what does he do? He doesn't build a house. He doesn't get out his tally sheet and say, let's check all the animals. Did they all make it? Who survived? No, he goes and he builds an altar to the Lord. He worships. The first act of Noah is to worship. And it's meant to be a sign for us that something has happened in Noah's heart and something will happen in our hearts as we experience this new recreation, that we will have our hearts recalibrated, angled, and directed towards God. God first. We all need work on our hearts, don't we? I mean, I, I mean physically, we need work on our hearts too. I mean, I realized uh, this week that I'm 41 and I'm not getting younger. And so I said, you know what? I think I need uh, to be exercising a little more than I am. And so I got the, I got the plan. I, I, I got out my sneakers. Uh, that's um, northern for tennis shoes. And I um, got my sneakers and my earbuds and my shorts laid out. And I set my alarm early. The alarm went off five in the morning. And I said, all right. I live in a beautiful area here. I'm just going to go for a run. I'm, I'm gonna, so I get everything on. Earbuds are in. I'm ready to go. And I open the front door and I realize it's pitch black outside. And here's my biggest fear. Not that it's being afraid of the dark. See, I'm a Canadian. I'm still adjusting here. Here's something I still can adjust to. There are snakes out there. <laughs> and in the dark, I can't see them. And so I closed the door and I went back and sat on my bed, fully clothed, earbuds in. And I pulled up my phone and went on Amazon and started looking to buy a treadmill. <laughs> we all know we need work on our hearts. But do we recognize that the orientation of our hearts towards God is of vital importance? Where is my heart oriented? Noah built an ark, and the next thing he built was an altar. You see, what recalibrates our hearts is our experience of recreation, our experience of God's grace. See, Noah's come through the floods, and he knows that entire time he's on that vessel that he did not earn a place on that ark. He was a normal person just like you and I, sinful, broken, and yet God and grace chose him. And as he walks through that experience of grace, as he says, why, Lord, would you choose me? That experience of grace begins to recalibrate his heart towards the Lord. In a few weeks, I'm going to be 
preaching on the woman with the alabaster jar who was anointing Jesus' feet. We do that in October. And in that story, there's this amazing moment. He's in a Pharisee's house, and this woman comes and breaks this alabaster jar, and she washes his feet, and she's even drying his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee, the religious man, is sort of horrified by this. He says, Don't you realize, Luke says, she's a sinner. And the word that Jesus gives back to Simon the Pharisee, he says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And, and that can be misunderstood. You, you can read that and think, oh, does that mean that she earned her forgiveness because she loved so much? No, what Jesus is saying is you can see on display in this amazing sacrificial act that her heart has been reoriented to God because she knows just how much she's been forgiven. And Simon, the religious Pharisee, has no idea how much he needs to be forgiven. If we know how much we have been forgiven, our hearts are transformed. Grace reorients our hearts bit by bit towards God. I love how Jonathan Edwards once wrote that religious people find God useful but gospel people find God beautiful. Noah has a heart that has been recalibrated by grace. What's amazing though, is it's not just that this flood story in the face of brokenness and a sense of ruinous of lives, it's not just that God recreates us. And it's not just that he recalibrates us through that experience of recreation and grace, but finally, God recommissions us. He gives us work to do. I love in verse 17, it reads, Noah, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And when you hear that language of be fruitful and multiply, this is the work. Go out and offer dominion, lead, govern. Guide this earth. Be fruitful and multiply. And, and we hear those words and we're reminded of the first chapter. That first creation story. When after he's made Adam and Eve, what does God say to them? He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Have dominion. See, what's amazing is God is giving the same commission back to Noah and his family that he gave to Adam and Eve. And here's what's amazing to me about this. We've already broken the earth. We already royally messed it all up once. God doesn't come back and say, okay, okay, new set of rules now. New commissioning. Clearly that one didn't work, so we're going to try something else. He doesn't say, now Noah, go out from the ark and be very, very careful. Do not bend a blade of grass. Watch what you do. Noah, just why don't you just stay there in the corner for a couple hundred more years? Just don't break it. Now, what does God do? God risks everything and says, be bold. Go. Fill the earth. Live a big life before me. Live the very life that I gave humanity in the beginning. See, nothing has been ultimately lost. Even in our utter destruction and ruining of the world, God still comes back and says, I'm going to send you back to the same job I gave you. He recommissions us with the same work. 
I love probably my favorite story in scripture is, is with Peter in John 21. Peter, that amazingly bold sinner. I mean, you just see his sin out there. He just fails massively, right? Denies Jesus three times. And what happens in John 21? Well, there's this moment when before he meets the risen Lord Jesus, it says that he's with the disciples and he says, I'm going to go fishing. And so they go out and fish. And, and people just sort of say, oh, well, that's just a little narrative bit. He's just going fishing. No, listen to what Peter says. Peter, the one to whom Jesus had called from being a fisherman said, now you will fish for men. Peter says, failure. Clearly, I'm not the rock on which he's going to build his church. I'm going to go back to my old profession. I'm going to go back to fishing. And what happens? When Jesus meets him on the shore of that little fishing excursion, the risen Lord Jesus says to Peter three times, just like the three times that he denied him, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, I love you. And what does he say? Feed my sheep. Get back to the work that I gave you. Yes, you royally messed it all up. And I'm going to recreate you. And I'm going to recalibrate your heart yet again. And I'm going to recommission you. Go back to the work I gave you at first. What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do when we feel we've ruined everything? We need to hear the gospel in the flood that after failure, God will recreate us he recalibrates us and he recommissions us. This is the good news. But here's what's amazing. Everyone pretty much in this room is living this flood story right now. You've lived it. You've gone through the flood. You've been recreated. You've been recalibrated. And you have been recommissioned. You've all done it. And guess what? It's happening actively still in your lives. Now, there's a small group of you, perhaps in the room, that have not yet gone through this. And if you haven't, Jesus is calling you to this as well. Because do you not see that this flood story is nothing less than a picture of our baptism? This whole flood story is prefiguring baptism. This is what baptism does. This is what it was pointing to. And if you don't believe me, believe me, but if you don't believe me, let Peter himself say these words from 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says these words. He says in verse 20 of chapter 3, 1 Peter, they formerly did not obey God, people, when God patience, patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being built in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, to this flood story, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, what Peter says is, listen, you've got to read this Genesis 8 story, 6, 7, 8, 9 story, as a baptismal story. It's all pointing to Jesus. 
The flood prefigures our baptism. We have all gone through the flood. And I'll make the point even stronger when we discuss the dove. Look at the dove. Earlier in chapter 8, remember what Noah does? He sends the dove out. Chapter 8, verse 8, the dove goes out. Verse 9, the dove comes back. Verse 10, the dove goes out. Verse 11, the dove comes back with an olive branch. Verse 12, the dove goes back out and the dove stays out. It's a sign of this amazing flood story, a sign of God's gracious action. And then what happens if this is true, if this flood story prefigures baptism in Matthew chapter three, when Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, what happens? The heavens are opened and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit comes in that moment as a dove to link these stories and say, do you not see that what happens in your baptism or what happens in my baptism is this flood story? That we have broken everything in our lives. We've ruined it all. And that God brings us through the flood and gives us new creation, gives us a recalibrated heart and gives us a recommissioned life. Get back to the work that I've called you to do. So this is our story. We pray like that every time we come to our baptism service. Like Noah went through the flood, oh Lord, help us go through this flood and be reborn. This is our story. And as I said, if it's not your story, Jesus is calling for this to be your story. And let me be clear, if it is your story and you've been baptized, this is not something that happens once. This experience of the flood This experience of brokenness followed by recreation, recalibration, recommissioning, it happens again and again in our lives. We renew our baptismal life again and again. I need this flood daily in my life. I need this gospel in the flood daily. I know this more than anything right now because I am a parent. On a regular basis, I feel like I've ruined everything. I wrote a text to a friend recently that said this, I don't have a clue what I'm doing as a father. Have I ruined it all? Have I broken everything? In that moment, I need this baptismal story. I need this flood story. Is it all done? No, I will recreate your life. I will recalibrate you again, Paul, and I will recommission you back to that same work. And this is why, the, by the way, why we don't rebaptize in our tradition. We don't rebaptize. Because I'll tell you, if this kind of experience of kind of being reconverted to Jesus about every 48 hours that happens in my life, total abysmal failure followed by recreation, recalibration, and recommissioning, I think I would be baptized about 700 times already. No, I re-enter into that baptismal promise. And every time I come into church, I dip my fingers into the baptismal water and I put the sign of the cross on myself and say again, Father, bring your flood. Bring your recreation. Bring your recalibration. Bring your recommissioning because I need it today. What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do when we feel that we've ruined everything? 
we need to hear the gospel in the flood. We need to hear again the doctrine of our baptism. To the river I am going, bringing sins I cannot bear. Come and cleanse me. Come forgive me. Lord, I need to meet you there. In these waters, healing mercy brings us grace beyond compare. He is calling. He is waiting. Jesus longs to meet you there. Precious Jesus, I am ready to for abandon every care. Take my hand now. Lead me closer. Lord, I need to meet you there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.